Welcome to Quarantine Made Sacred, a weekly podcast with the goal of helping all of us seek God and seek beauty in the midst of living through a pandemic. In our house, we're on day 60 of our stay at home to stay safe season, and it does not necessarily get easier. We want to remind you that while you are doing the hard work, doing this hard thing of staying at home, that you are part of a community that loves you. You're part of a community that loves the city of Houston and that remains focused on what God is doing in the world. We think it's important that we stay connected to each other during this time. So here's a few things happening through Ecclesia that you could be a part of. Each Wednesday night at 8 p.m., we hold Vespers, a great time of communing with God and one another through song and prayer and the hearing of scripture. We wanna remind you that each Sunday morning we have our online worship services at nine and 11 o'clock and you can join a Facebook watch party to watch those with community. If you're wanting to have some time one-on-one with one of our pastors, you can sign up for a pastoral care session online. There are 15 and 30 minute slots and that can be a time just for you to visit about whatever it is that's on your mind. We also have different meetups that happen throughout the week. Our family ministry team is doing all kinds of activities with students through art projects and story times, several different activities that your young kids can be a part of. And then each night at 7 p.m., our student minister has a teen call uh, for students who are between 6th and 12th grade. If you want more information about that, make sure you check out ecclesiahouston.org. I want to also let you know that there are some new things happening around Ecclesia this week. The first is uh, we'll begin discipleship groups. Pastor Sean and Pastor Matt brought us from the west side. We'll start the Bible for Beginners this Sunday afternoon. And Pastor Jim, also from the west side, will be teaching a class on the book of Philippians. Again, you can register for both of these experiences on the website, ecclesiahouston.org. I cannot close my heart 
I will praise you in the 
It's Pastor Sean, and welcome back to Quarantine Made Sacred. Last week, we started with a simple realization that the Apostle Paul wrote four of his most influential letters when he was, like we have been, locked up at home. Paul was under house arrest. We're not under house arrest, but I know it can feel like that sometimes, depending on who you are and where you are and everything that's happening in your house that you have to take care of. And yeah, gyms are now open and bars and some other places open this weekend. Local malls are beginning to open, 25% capacity and all that. And you can go and eat at restaurants with some distancing. Still, life is greatly restricted from what most of us are used to. And all that can just produce stress. And it can be tempting in stressful situations and stressful times to lash out at people. Maybe the people who live with you. Just yesterday, my wife, Rochelle, told me that I was just going around the house picking fights with people. (laughs) I might have been. Or maybe it's easy for you to lash out at people online. It seems that uh, when it comes to religion and politics, have you seen how people lash out? Have you seen this happening on your timeline, maybe? Relationships seemingly have become less and less important. And healthy relationships, maintaining relationships have become less and less important. And it's hard to be healthy with people because we are losing. Maybe as a culture, we have lost the ability to be in relationships. And what's remarkable about that is that one of Paul's letters, one of the ones he wrote under house arrest, is all about handling relationships. It's actually one of my favorite letters to explore so, so in this episode of Quarantine Made Sacred, I'm going to give you three questions that will absolutely transform your relationships with people, where they live in your house, where you find them online, they're people you work with, you're having to deal with over Zoom, whatever it is for you, the people you're sitting with in traffic. Because what has happened um, in my adult life is that we tend to have a relationship with issues and opinions and our thoughts And we hold them dear. We hold those ideas almost sacred. And we choose ideas far too often over relationships. So what we wanted to do, what I wanted to do is give you some handles about how to meaningfully have gracious conversations around hot button, intensely personal issues. 
And that's exactly what happens in the book of Philemon. This is what happens to the Apostle Paul. Even back in the first century, there were hot-button issues. And one of those hot-button issues was slavery. Well, at the time, hot-button may be a bit much. It was more of a lukewarm-button issue. But it was an issue that brought to the fore, that highlighted all the other issues going on at the time. And what we're going to see how Paul handles this is we're going to see how to deal with one another through the lives of three men, the Apostle Paul, a slave owner named Philemon, and a slave named Onesimus. So in the first century, slavery was an accepted reality, just as it had been for hundreds and hundreds of years before. But some people, particularly Jews, hated the idea of slavery, at least they were uncomfortable with the idea of slavery because they remembered the tales passed down to them through the years about slavery in Egypt and when they were slaves after the Assyrians conquered the promised land. And even now, when Paul writes this, they are suffering under the militant hand of the Romans, not as slaves, but as an occupied people. Now, you need to know, slavery in antiquity in the ancient days didn't quite work like the slavery Americans are used to that we're told about. First of all, slavery wasn't race-based. And secondly, it wasn't permanent. People might have become slaves to pay off debts. So when the debts were paid, they were free to go. And at the end of their service, there are a great number of slaves that chose to remain with their slave owners. The, the level, the relationship, the status of it changed. They went to employees. Instead of paying something off, they were getting paid for. But first, you need to know this. Slavery is slavery is slavery is slavery is slavery. Slavery is a way of securing and maintaining an involuntary workforce for economic gain. It's a way of using power and weapons and lack of education to keep one group of people underfoot. In slavery, men slaves were not referred to as men. They kept their status as boys. Because in the ancient world, men could own property and slaves could not own property. So first, slavery is about cementing income inequality. Second, when you were a slave, all of you belonged to the owner. I want to be clear, but I also want to be careful. In the ancient world, it was not uncommon for men to have relations with boys. Yeah, those kinds of relations. But it was uncommon for men to have those kind of relations with other men. So if a slave was a boy, then guess what their male owners and their male owner's wives could do with them? Well, anything they wanted. First century sexuality was not understood like ours. The home was for procreational relations. And other relations were for recreation, pure recreation. 
So when the apostle Paul writes to the churches uh, that husbands should be faithful to their wives as he does in a number of places, that was some of the most radical teaching, the most leveling of the playing field that anyone had ever imagined. Why in the ancient world would a husband be faithful to his wife? She herself is property. So in addition to income inequality, we are also dealing with a system that cements abuse and sexual abuse. And since they couldn't own property, in some respects, slaves couldn't be citizens. So now you're also dealing with citizenship. So here's where we are. Citizenship, sexual abuse and misconduct, income inequality. (laughs) The ancient world just sounds so different than our world, doesn't it? So one of the questions facing the early church was what to do about slavery. Or, Or maybe it's better put this way. How are slave owners supposed to treat slaves? And how are slaves supposed to respond to their masters? So here's the story, the backstory of what's going on in the book of Philemon. In Colossae, this city, Colossae, There's a church leader named Philemon who has a slave named Onesimus. In the Roman Empire, about 30% of the population were slaves. And somehow Onesimus ends up in the closest big city, a city called Ephesus, and finds himself in the company of a man who started the church in Colossae, the Apostle Paul. But soon the waters get murky. It could be that Onesimus has run away from his master, Philemon? If he has, this is a big problem because Onesimus would have broken the law and done something that was actually punishable by death. Or perhaps Onesimus isn't a runaway slave. He may have been in Ephesus, which wasn't actually far from Colossae. He may have been in Ephesus doing business for his master and the business dealings have taken a longer time than expected, and perhaps back home, Philemon starts to worry. Or it could be that since Paul began the church that meets in Philemon's house, that Onesimus has sought out Paul over some falling out between him and Philemon. The Bible doesn't tell why or how Onesimus and Paul have come together. Because this is important, because it's one of the few cases in life where what we don't know really matters. Like Onesimus could have been a lawbreaker, a runaway slave who's done something punishable by death, or Onesimus could be doing exactly what his master asks and expects him to do. Either way, the Apostle Paul uses this encounter with Onesimus as a chance to write Philemon about how we should deal with each other. He takes the opportunity between a slave owner and a slave master to recalibrate how both see the world. So when you have that difficult conversation with someone you love, when maybe you disagree or don't understand 
the lifestyle choices someone else has made. When you think you're owed something, you're entitled, or that you've been mistreated. Paul says, let this serve as a template. Let this be a design for how you have tough conversations. And so this is what Paul says in the book of Philemon, verses 8 and 9. He says, although I am bold enough in the anointed, our liberating king, to insist you do the right thing, instead, I choose to appeal to you on account of love. I do this for my own sake, since I, Paul, am an old man and am held prisoner because of my service to Jesus, the anointed. So this is enough right there to reorient everything we do in our life if we were to actually take Paul seriously. What the imprisoned Paul is saying is, in our relationship, Philemon, I have the power. I have the upper hand. I have the authority. But I'm not acting out of authority. I'm acting out of love. So the first question for us is this. How would you treat other people if you traded power for love? What would that mean for you and your life if the next tough conversation you had to have, if you eradicated the idea that someone should listen to you based on your accomplishments or your position or your power? And do you know why our world has so many problems? Because too many people think other people should listen to them because of power. Some people are out there and they'll say, do what I say or we'll terrorize your country. And other people say, we have the most money or the most influence. We have the most votes. Others say, well, it should be all majority rules all the time. And there are more of us than there are of you. We have the most people. And every one of those statements is an appeal to power. It happens in families all the time. You've probably heard someone say, well, I'm the man. Or if someone might say, I'm the head of this household. Or someone says, I'm the woman. I'm the mom. I'm the wife. And there are some things that I have some control over too that maybe I can withhold. I've said this to so many groups before. If there's a sign in your house that says, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, then your house has a problem. I have two daughters and, and it's hard to raise children. And sometimes I just need them to do something. And what we have told our girls er, from early on in their lives is that sometimes I'm going to need you to do something and I need you to just do it. And I'll explain it later because, because I said so isn't actually a reason. I may not be able to tell you now, but I will tell you later when we have more time. If you have to remind people, whether it's at work, at home, wherever it is that you go, if you have to remind people that you're the boss or that you have the power, ultimately, you're not the boss. Henry Nouwen, one of my favorite quotes, says this. He says, what makes the temptation of power so seemingly irresistible? Maybe it is that power offers an easy substitute for the hard task of love. It seems easier to be God than to love God, easier to control people than to love people. Jesus asked, do you love me? We, we ask, 
can I sit at your right hand and your left hand in your kingdom? So Paul says, I could do the power thing, but I'm not going to. And in your relationships, you don't have to either. How would you treat people if you traded power for love? Paul goes on in verse 10. He says, I make this request on behalf of my child, Onesimus, whom I brought to faith during my time in prison. Before he was useless, which is a play on words there because the word useless is also the word Onesimus. Um, He is useless to you, but now he is useful to you. The word useful is Onesimus. Listen, I am sending my heart back to you as I send him to stand before you. Although truly I wish to keep him at my side, Paul says, to take your place as my helper, to take your place, Philemon, as my helper. What a statement of equality. He is no better. You are no better than him, Philemon. You're equal to me. He is as useful to me as you would be, Paul says. Well, he says, to play, take your place as my helper while I'm bound for the good news. But I didn't want to make this decision without asking your permission. This way, any goodwill on your part wouldn't be seen as forced. I'm not going to force you, Paul says, but as your true and free desire. I love this section. As you can probably tell, I get super excited about it. Because what does Paul do? Do you see what he says? He says, Onesimus regardless of how he met Paul in Ephesus, has become more than a slave to Paul. Onesimus, Paul says, has become his child. So a second question for us. How do you want your children to be treated? Or or if you don't have kids, how do you think children ought to be treated? Or when you were a kid, remember back, How did you think you should be treated? I don't know about anyone else. And I don't really know what I believe about anything really until I know what I want for my children if they were in that situation. Something so earth shattering has happened between Paul and Onesimus that his status has been transformed. He's fundamentally a different person. Here's all any of us need to know when we don't know how to treat someone or when we're conflicted about how to treat someone, how we should speak to someone, this is what we need to know. How do I want my child treated? And yeah, sometimes children require discipline and they require some hard conversations and hard words. And sometimes you have to be stern. But when we're doing it, when parents are doing it, Really great parents. No great parent enjoys doing it. Paul says, Onesimus is my child. I don't see him as a slave. I see him as a child, my child. How you treat him, Philemon, is up to you. But when I look at Onesimus, I don't see a slave. I see a child. The same is true for us. Every person you know is somebody's child. And if you're a parent, you know exactly what I mean when I say that. Every person you've ever met 
means the world to someone. I'm 45 years old. But when my mother introduces me to someone, she says, this is Sean. He's my baby. But Paul's not done. He goes on. He says, maybe, maybe this is the reason why he was supposed to be away from you for this time. So that now you will have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but as more than a slave. As a dear brother. Yes, he is dear to me, but I suspect he will come to mean even more to you. Both in the flesh as a servant and in the Lord as a brother. So if you look upon me as your partner in the mission, then I ask you to open your heart to him as you would welcome me. You know, I used to think that Paul, when Paul suggested Onesimus ran away so that Onesimus could meet Paul and find Jesus and return to Philemon, a believer, and everything would be unicorns and rainbows and kumbaya and all that. You know, I used to think that that this was a great thing about the stories that Onesimus ran away and God used it so that Onesimus could find Jesus. I'm not sure that I think that anymore. I think it's great that Onesimus finds Jesus. But now I think Onesimus ends up with Paul. Onesimus runs away. Also so that Philemon could find Jesus. And while all that's necessary to the story, it's not necessarily key. What's key is that Onesimus leaves, meets Paul, and finds Jesus. And because Onesimus finds Jesus, both Onesimus and Philemon have a conversion. So the third question for us, what if you stayed open to conversion? Maybe one of the more disappointing aspects to Paul's letters is that most of the time we don't know what happened on the other end. We don't know if people ever did what Paul encouraged them to do. And that's the case with Philemon and Onesimus too. I'd love to be able to go to the videotape. Like I wish there was a GoPro someplace, but we don't have those. So we don't know what Philemon chose to do. But we do know that a man named Onesimus who was living around this time Well, that guy pops up in history a few years after this letter arrives in Philemon's inbox. But this man wasn't known as just Onesimus. He's known as Saint Onesimus. And it's believed by some that after Philemon received Paul's letter, Philemon not only forgave Onesimus, but also sent him back to Rome to Paul As church history tells us, after the death of Paul, St. Onesimus served the apostles until their end, until the last apostle died, and he was made a bishop. After the death of the last apostle, St. Onesimus preached the gospel in Spain, Carpentania, Colossae, Patras. In his old age, St. Onesimus occupied the bishop's throne at Ephesus after the Apostle Timothy. When Ignatius, an early church father, was taken to Rome for execution, Bishop Onesimus came to meet with him and with other Christians. During the reign of Emperor Trajan, 
St. Onesimus was arrested and brought to trial before Tertullius. Tertullius eventually sent for Onesimus and convincing him that he had maintained his faith in Christ, Tertullius had Onesimus stoned and then beheaded. And it's entirely possible that generations of people in the ancient world would never have known Jesus had they never known Onesimus. Maybe some of those people were your ancestors. And maybe some of us wouldn't be followers of Jesus today if Philemon never believed that because of Jesus, we see the world differently. And so that's my invitation to you, Ecclesia, is to take this time, as Paul and Onesimus did, to see the world differently. To see others, maybe the people in your home, in your workplace, people that you sit in countless Zoom meetings with, to see them as more than the world sees them. And maybe that, maybe that will change the world. God bless. fields are dry and the winter is long. Blessed are the meek, the hungry, the poor. When my soul is downcast and my voice has no
Sure, what is 